again for you, Rammer. Everybody hurts. I think I've heard and heard that before. And you know, in route to switching to another station. <laughs> what like depressing, sad songs? Yeah. Oh, oh, you hear that click, and then go to KC ninety five. They're out. I'm at, my shoulder is hurting for some ungodly reason today. It's annoying me. I'm breaking down. Been patting yourself on the back too much. Too much. <laughs> my narcissistic self <laughs> happens too much. Uh, every Wednesday, we catch up with Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period. We're getting uh, closer and closer to uh, hockey being back on the uh, radar, and uh, he's kind enough to uh, join us here in the offseason. Anthony, how are you doing? Not too bad, boys. How about yourselves? Oh, you know, just rocking and rolling. It's a Wednesday here in St. Louis. The heat is in full effect, but uh, that's just what it does around here. There was a good article um, on NHL.com by by Lou Korak talking about Jimmy Snuggerud, one of the Blues uh, prospects that has done some nice things in, in their prospect camp. And, of course, a former first-round pick. He was 23rd overall in the 2022 draft. Uh, but he will return for another season at the University of, of Minnesota. But I don't know how much you've uh, followed Snuggerud, but um, if you have, what exactly do you think his his sort of uh, talent um, compares to, or, or how quickly do you see him making a progression towards being a part of uh, the, the Blues in the very near future? Well, you know, it's become more and more common for the NCAA to be projecting players into the first round and Sugarud is just another example of it as you alluded to first round pick last year by the St. Louis Blues and I think that he's someone that's eventually going to develop into a middle six forward and I think that as we've talked about since we started talking together for the last month or so is that it feels like Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues have really been trying to re-insulate that uh, that middle six after there's been some change over, over, over the last several years and I also also see a guy like Jake Neighbors and former high uh, draft pick of the St. Louis Blues kind of projecting maybe into that same mold as Snuggerud. And I think it's just an added, an, another added piece to the offensive arsenal that St. Louis has being propped up. And I think that depending where Snuggerud falls is going to, or where he ends up falling rather, is going to depend a lot of, more on the guys like Robert Thomas and um, his name is escaping me, the other centerman, Jordan Cairo, that they've locked up to kind of be their one-two punch down the middle theoretically for the foreseeable future. So where will Snuggerud slot in beside their two pivots down the middle going forward will obviously depend a lot on how the two centermen do. Uh, The NHL was uh, I guess I don't know if you could say caught off guard, but you know there was maybe some speculation he might come back. But uh, Patrice Bergeron retires from the NHL after 19 seasons with the Bruins, Stanley Cup champ, six-time Selkie Trophy winner, and uh, he, he has decided that it is time to step away from the game after 19 seasons, all with Boston. Uh, terrific player and certainly someone that that organization will, will miss dearly. I think that it is not an exaggeration to say that you could say that 
the game's best defensive forward may have just hung up his skates. And that's saying something based on all the great defensive pivots we've seen over the years. But what Patrice Bergeron was able to do over his near two-decade-long career was something I don't know if we're ever going to see again. And specifically when you factor in what he did after his injury in the fall of 2007 when he was hit from then-Flyers defenseman Randy Jones from behind when I believe he was only 23 years old and missed almost 80 games that season and at that time obviously dealt with a concussion there were many who were speculating on whether or not it would affect his career long term and obviously with the Stanley Cup championship half uh, like half a dozen nominations and or Selkie wins two additional Stanley Cup finals appearances the captain of the Boston Bruins as of 2021 I find it absolutely astounding what Patrice Bergeron was able to do even after dealing with such a serious injury early on in his career and really early on in his life, 23 years old, it's still a kid in a lot of capacities. And, you know, you, you bring up what it's going to mean for the Boston Bruins with him finally retiring. I don't know how it's going to affect that team. I think we could all say that we believe that they were, we thought there was something special going on in Boston this year before they lost in seven games in the first round of the Florida Panthers. And with David Krejci also presumably stepping away, there is going to be a lot of legwork to have to replace Patrice Bergeron for going forward for the Boston Bruins. Yeah, do you think there's any chance that the NHL might uh, rename the Selkie Trophy? I mean, would they call it the Patrice Bergeron Selkie uh, Trophy? Would they would they think about marketing it that way? I think that all the trophies could be used with a a refresher. I was actually at the Hockey Hall of Fame two days ago in Toronto, and I was seeing all these trophies up close, and you're reading on who who the trophies are named after, and it's a lot of people from, you know, 100 years ago. I'm not exaggerating. And I think the last trophy to be renamed was the Lester B. Pearson Trophy when it got renamed, I believe, about 10 years ago to the Ted Lindsay. And you wonder, like, could, like... The, the Norris Trophy be renamed the Nick Lidstrom Trophy, or could the Hart be renamed the Gretzky Trophy, or the Selkie be re- renamed the Bergeron Trophy? I believe we've seen other sports do that, like the like the NBA and the NFL, and I think that maybe just refreshing it. It's no disrespect to yeah. the former names or the current names. I just think that maybe to attract newer viewers, it would kind of be something that would help more intrigue for the awards. Yeah, I think that's a solid point. Uh, on a side note, how I've heard the experience at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto is just unbelievable. That's uh, I've heard that is a tremendous place to visit. Yeah, I, I would suggest it for anyone. Obviously, for me, living in Montreal, it's only about four and a half hours down the highway. Just took a couple day trip with my fiance, and it was the third time I had been. Uh, the first time in over 10 years, for sure, probably 15 years. So my first time as an adult. And it really is just incredible to see all these things up close. And, you know, like my when I was growing up, my favorite player was Chris Pronger, someone who you guys down in St. Louis know very, very well. And just seeing, like, his little trophy case like dedicated to him the impact he had on that game they had a little video going of Paul Correa a former St. Louis Blue in his own right and the impact that he left behind in the 2000s uh, for me it's a must for any hockey fan and to see all those trophies up close obviously the Stanley Cup was a duplicate as it is traveling with the Vegas Golden Knights right now but I would suggest it to anyone if you're anywhere in the Toronto area. 
Uh, there was also news, former Blue uh, Vince Dunn, who won a Stanley Cup with the Blues as a defenseman, and then he was lost in the expansion draft to the Seattle Kraken. He gets a four-year uh, at 7.3 mil per uh, contract. Not per, but four-year uh, $7.3 million contract. That that might be one where if you could do it all over again. Granted, Tarasenko gave the Blues a really good season that first year back. He scored 30 goals and whatnot, but Boy, Vince Dunn for a team that is actively searching for uh, movers and shakers on their D-line, he might be one that you could look back and say, yikes, did we really give up on him a bit too early? He turned out to, he's, he's really good. Yeah, especially given the fact that they the Blues have been in a in the hunt for a left shot defenseman to play with a Colton Pareko, as we saw with the deal that fell through that would have brought them Travis Sanheim. Vince Dunn on paper would have made a load of sense for Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues to play on your top pair. And that's what he has evolved into with the Seattle Kraken is a first pairing defenseman. I think they get him at a good AAV. Obviously the four year term will have them have to revisit these talks in a few years from now. I'm sure that they would have wanted to go a bit longer term, but in a world where you see so many defensemen, top pairing defensemen making north of $9 million nowadays, I think that it's a very good contract for the Seattle Kraken in the short term. And it just goes to show that myself included, we were far too uh, fast to jump the gun on criticizing general manager, Ron Florances out in Seattle for his expansion picks. Like, like I just said, myself included, I criticized them for not drafting Vlad Tarasenko and taking a Vince Dunn. And look how it's paid off for them in spades. As he, how he has arguably emerged into their most valuable skater to this point. Yeah, Seattle, I think that initial expansion draft their first year, they were kind of devastated by injury. But last year, you really saw it all come to fruition. I don't, I don't think Seattle's going away anytime soon. That's going to be a team that will be competing uh, in the West for the next probably five years, I think, with the talent they have. Oh, 100%. And if you look at a lot of their underlying numbers and analytics in the first season, they were one of the best defensive teams, but they just got absolutely destroyed by poor goaltending. And we even saw that this year, whether it was Martin Jones or Philip Grubauer. And it was finally Grubauer who, in the playoffs, kind of pulled his head out of his backside and got his game (laughs) back on track and played like the goalie that they thought they were getting from Colorado when they signed him in the 2021 offseason, giving him a a five-and-a-half half million dollars over six years I believe so it just went to show that even in their first season had they just got league average goaltending we probably would have been singing a different tune of the Seattle Kraken but look at what they've gotten off to with a start because of finishing poorly in their first season they get Shane Wright as the fourth overall pick a guy who many believed would be the first overall in Montreal at the 2022 NHL draft and they also draft Matty Beneers who has already emerged into their first-line center. They signed Alex Burakovsky from the uh, Colorado Avalanche. They bring in Jaden Swartz, who you guys know very well from the St. Louis Blues. Like This is a team that has made some shrewd expansion draft picks, some shrewd uh, free agent signings, and has also drafted two players that would presumably become their top two centermen going forward in Wright and Matty Beneers. So in my opinion, now you have your first, uh, your number one defenseman locked up on a four-year contract 
prospect. I like the other insulation on the back end with the likes of Jamie Oleksiak and Adam Larson. If their goaltending can hold up, I don't think that this team is going anywhere anytime soon. A few more with Anthony DeMarco from uh, the fourth period. Hurricanes made a big extension uh, yesterday with Sebastian Ajo. Uh, he gets the eight-year, $78 million contract to stay with the Carolina Hurricanes, who got swept in the Eastern Conference Finals by the Florida Panthers. But uh, this is, uh, speaking of Patrice Bergeron and two-way centermen, I mean, Sebastian Ajo is certainly one of the better two-way centers in the game. And at 26 years old, uh, Carolina is, a, is another team that I don't anticipate going anywhere in the Eastern Conference. And to have him locked up for the next eight seasons, I think that's a big move. Yep, I agree, and I think that maybe he's not in the elite tier yet as far as centermen go, but he's right under there as a slam dunk number one centerman every day of the week. And if you look at other contracts around the NHL that have been signed for you know, top six slash top line centers, whether that be Bo Horvacking $8.5 million a year, Dylan Larkinging $8.8 million a year. I think there was a, this was a year ago, but Matthew Barzal got $9.1 million a year. It's par for the course for Sebastian Ajo to get 9.75 mil over eight seasons. And over those eight seasons, that cap is presumably and is projected to skyrocket well into the 90 million uh, numbers. And, you know, you you look at these elite centermen who are getting north of $12 million and the Nathan McKinnons, the Connor McDavid's, the soon-to-be Austin Matthews, and it just makes all the sense in the world that Sebastian Ajo would be getting close to that $10 million mark. As you said, one of the best defensive centers in the game, probably along with Alex Barkov of the uh, Florida Panthers, and Barkov is making $10 million flat on the cap. So I think it's right in the, the wheelhouse of the value of a Sebastian Ajo. Uh, the hockey world was shook a little bit yesterday with uh, the the news that Rocky Wirtz, who inherited the uh, Chicago Blackhawks uh, principal owner and chairman, uh, he died yesterday, and he was only 70 years old. I know uh, the Blues owner, Tom Stillman, had released a statement, and, and everybody who seems to have known him uh, has nothing but good things to say. And my goodness, uh, he was at the helm when – you know, Chicago won three Stanley Cups in 10, 13, and 15. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know exactly what happened to him, but 70 years old, certainly gone too soon. A hundred percent. Like, hey, there's so many people that you know in your life that are older than 70 years old and you still consider them young. And Rocky Wartz was someone that I never thought was ill or anything of the sort. But obviously, we don't know exactly what's going on in someone's personal life. And obviously, we have to respect the privacy of the Wartz family. But as far as ownership goes, I mean, Rocky Wartz inherited this team, I believe, in 06 or 07 in that range. And that was a team in peril, right? Like, I was really just starting to follow hockey religiously at that point. I was 13 years old about. But I remember in the early years of me watching hockey, the Blackhawks were an afterthought. There were thoughts that maybe they were going to be relocated. They were, they were just such a bad team for so many years. They hadn't won a Stanley Cup since, what, 1963, I believe? And within two, three seasons of him taking over from his father and then drafting Jonathan Taze and drafting Patrick Kane and bringing in the likes of Keith and Seabro, all of a sudden they become a modern day dynasty and they win three Stanley Cups in six years and you can't really take away the impact that he had on that team. Obviously over the last 24 months ago the Kyle Beach stuff really did 
kind of put a, a negative light or shine a negative light on Rocky Wars and the Chicago Blackhawks organization. But, I mean, I, I don't know if you could lie that entire situation at the feet of Rocky Wars, but from an on-ice perspective, there really is no – there isn't enough words to – describe how if an important owner he was, an influential owner he was, and overall a very good owner. Uh, last thing for you, it's still there's still plenty of big-name veteran guys out there on the free agent market, but one in particular that I think a lot of Blues fans have their eyes on just to see where he goes is Vladimir Tarasenko. He, he changed up the agent. Uh, I'm seeing maybe some reports that he could return to the New York Rangers. But also, there are a couple teams uh, that the Blues would have to directly contend with that have been sort of rumored here lately, and that is uh, the, the Colorado Avalanche and the Nashville Predators. Could they get into the mix for Tarasenko? And at this point, is it is it most likely, in your view, that Tarasenko is likely going to take a one-year deal? I believe he will go down the one-year deal route because with the cap expected to go up next year, you've seen a lot of players bet on themselves on the one-year contracts to try and double-dip next season. We saw that with Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi with the Toronto Maple Leafs or Dmitry Orlov signed a two-year deal with the um, with the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, guys who could have probably gone longer term but want to get that average annual value up when there is more cap to go around for everyone. So in terms of his landing spot, Tarasenko, that is, you know, early on, a lot of people suggested it was going to be the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, they have a lot of irons in the fire. They just extended Ajo, as we discussed. They brought back Tony D'Angelo. They're in the mix with Eric Carlson. It seems that maybe they have their focus uh, elsewhere at this time. The Ottawa Senators were another team that many thought, but is that a team that he wants to go to, a Canadian market? He's never played in a market like that, and we know that in the post-COVID world, there is a lot of hesitancy for players to commit long-term up here. Nashville, that's interesting to me. Like, I know Barry Trotz is really trying to overhaul that culture and really put his stamp on that organization, but for a guy like Tarasenko, who in my mind would presumably be wanting to chase a cup, it wouldn't make much sense. They're not a playoff team in my mind, especially if St. Louis could get back to where I think they can get to. But the New York Rangers and the Colorado Avalanche, that is very, very intriguing. And Colorado in particular would be a very intriguing landing spot for Tarasenko because they've really rebuilt that middle six, bringing in the likes of Ryan Johansson, Miles Wood, Ross Colton, trying to re-add that depth that they lost a, a summer ago in Alex Burakovsky and Nazem Kadri, and they move on from JT Comfer and Alex Newhook. So bringing in Tarasenko would would mean four new bodies to that middle six in Colorado. And I think that's something that really kind of torpedoed them last year, especially when they faced so much uh, trouble in the way of injuries with Nachushkin and Nate McKinnon. So in my opinion, from an on-ice perspective, Tarasenko would be the best fit in Colorado, not only for Colorado's point of view and them winning, but in terms of him trying to boost those numbers and get a bigger payday next year because he'll be playing with some really good players. Oh, man, I got to tell you, between watching, uh, you know, seeing O'Reilly in a Preds jersey, Tarasenko potentially in an Avs jersey, I, <laughs> I don't know, as a Blues fan, going to be a little different if that ultimately does uh, come to fruition, but we shall see. Anthony, uh, always good stuff. Appreciate you hopping on with us today. 
Always a pleasure, boys. Talk next week. You got it. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, uh, getting a little hockey fix in here in late July. We will step aside for a break and come back and uh, look at the scoreboard around Major League Baseball and also get to uh, last night's game where the Cardinals coughed it up. And uh, I've got a few thoughts on that, so stay with us. <laughs> 